Greetings everyone. I hope everyone is doing fine, happy and healthy during this it's kind of a difficult time. I hope everyone listening is in good health and if it's otherwise I pray for your safety and for you to be returned to good health. We're just going to go straight into what I've planned. For this week's episode, we are going to go into detail about pre-university and financial aid. And since this is a pretty heavy topic, there are a lot of things that I think I need to elaborate on. I have a feeling this is going to be a very long episode. Courtesy to all of my listeners, I will provide timestamps in the description of the episode. So in case you're particularly interested in one pre-university program or you're only interested in certain parts, I think it would be more convenient for you to look at the timestamps and skip accordingly. First things first, I think I need to put it out there that I am not an authorized academic counselor or anything of that sort. So please don't sue me if you one day regret your college decisions based on my word. I am open to providing advice to anyone, but Making that leap of faith is an act that you have to do on your own. I'm not here to elaborate on, you know, the structure of the program, what things are you going to learn, stuff like that, because those are things that you can search on the internet because, you know, it's fairly accessible. And in my opinion, if you can listen to this podcast, it means that it's highly likely that you have access to the internet. So use it because one, I want to encourage everyone to start, you know, polishing your research skills because research is actually a very important aspect for university. So if you don't start doing that now, you're going to experience some problems with it in the future. Start practicing how to research. Just look up certain things, read it through. Quora, Reddit are great like open sources for common questions that you might you may not find on blogs, but a lot of people you know, they gather there and then they answer questions. I'm just here to kind of like give you a vague idea of what the program might look like. Maybe I'll put in some experiences that I've heard of from my seniors, from sharing sessions that I've attended, just to give you an idea so that you can kind of pick and choose these pre-university programs and find out which one suits you the best. Now, before we begin, I think there's something that I need to address first. Since we're talking about our future here, I think it's important that we become aware of people who might not even have this opportunity to think about their future. I just want all my listeners to become more aware, spread more awareness about the issues that are currently happening in our daily lives, especially lately. We all know about you know what happened in Sheikh Jarrah, about the Israelis attacking Masjid al-Aqsa, which is a very important monument in our religion, in Islam. I would recommend for anyone who can, for you to donate. Even the littlest amount of money matters. It probably helps more than you can think of. And for those who can't, spreading awareness is the best that you can do. Use your voice, use your power, and use all of your platforms to speak out and If you can't express it in your own words, there are so many people out there who have gathered information, who have created threads on Twitter, who have compiled all the bank accounts that you can donate to. 
it doesn't take much time for you to click like, retweet, and share the word. Spreading awareness matters. So before we go into talking about pre-university and financial aid, I just need everyone to understand the typical, okay, not typical, but the usual pathway that occurs after SPM. Most of my listeners' current checkpoint in life that you've passed is SPM. Even though we haven't received our results yet, let's just assume that we have, okay? Assuming that we already have our SPM results, the typical pathway would be for you to go to pre-university and then you continue to pursue a degree and then you start your career. Now, these are usually people who do want to stall a bit before you actually enter the workforce and people who pursue a degree are usually more open for opportunities in postgraduate. But for certain people who want to kind of go directly into the workforce, you can apply for a diploma right after you receive your SPM results. Usually in Malaysia, diplomas are widely accepted in the workforce. Only you really have to bear in mind that there are companies uh, and corporations out there that either prioritize or they only go for people who have bachelor's degrees. I know this because my mom works in an oil and gas company that they strictly only choose future employees that have bachelor's degree and above. A PSA to everyone who's interested in taking a diploma out there, uh, I just want you to know that most postgraduate programs, postgraduate means master's and PhD, they require you to have a bachelor's degree for you to continue your studies postgraduate. So if you are planning to advance to you know obtain a master's scroll i would say it would be better for you to go on the degree pathway instead of going for diploma because if you take a diploma and then suddenly you want to pursue a master's there's a highly likely chance you need to pursue a degree first which is going to be very time consuming very stressful uh, a word out there that i forgot is that bachelor's degree in malaysia is usually called an ijaza if you're gonna stay local some of the terminology can be kind of confusing so you can look that up keep that in mind you can also go for the longer route for example okay you have your spm results you can go for pre-university pursue your degree pursue your master's then you go into the workforce this was the path way that my mom took she had a degree in i think it was business administration with like a minor in finance i think or oh no my mom she had a double degree so she has a a degree in business administration and a degree in finance i think but her master's was uh in something business and then she entered the workforce but my dad he has a chemical engineering degree and he directly entered uh, the workforce under a bond if you're gonna take this route where you pursue your degree and then you pursue your master's then you go into the workforce relatively i would say this would probably take around eight years or nine years for certain fields for example medicine also with psychiatry and psychology 
This is going to take more time, but for some people, it is more a requirement than choice. For example, psychology, you can't have a career in psychology without having a master in psychology. You have to be really aware of career pathways, especially if you're aiming on working locally. Make sure you know what are the minimum requirements for you to enter a certain workforce. However, what I do want to emphasize here is that everyone will not walk the same path. Some people might want to wait the eight or nine years before entering the workforce. Some people might even skip directly from getting your SPM results and just going into the workforce. You're not expected to go into a specific pathway because that's just unfair. How do I say this? People don't work the same way. So you can't, I can't impose a specific pathway for you saying this is a surefire way for you to become a successful person because that's unfair to you. It's unfair to everyone else who wants to take time in their education. Pre-university has lots of varieties which we will get into and degrees good lord, degrees vary even more. You are not entitled at all, nor encouraged, to compare yourself to other people's progress. We we don't do that in this house, okay? Your progress is how much you're able to handle. In this scenario, I really want to impose how it's more of you knowing yourself and choosing for yourself and it's less of oh my friend already went this far so i have to catch up with them of course you'll feel that way letting yourself sink into that feeling letting yourself kind of get absorbed into it it will only get detrimental in the long run so that's that the all about the typical pathways now i'm going to actually start talking about pre-university the other day since mara opened their applications for the young talents program mara ytp a lot of people started asking me a lot about international baccalaureate a levels preparatory programs adpp like what's the difference between all of them since we're at a stage where you can still think about it where you can still kind of pick and choose even mara as far as their faq goes they mentioned that you are able to change your choice after sbm results are released so don't worry about that if you suddenly listen to this podcast and think oh my god the other day with mara i chose this pre-university and suddenly i want to choose this pre-university don't worry you'll be fine. They're giving you another chance to change your mind. So for pre-university, I think what we need to establish first is two things. First, do you want to go abroad or do you want to stay local? And two, you need to know what stream you're going into. Generally, there are a lot of streams. You have the typical pure science stream, you have the social science stream, you have the arts stream, maybe business and sometimes most pre-university courses they segregate the engineering stream know which stream you're going into i'm not saying you have to know which degree you want to take after your pre-university as long as you have a you know a pretty solid hold on the stream that you're interested in you'll you'll be fine so we're gonna go with the local route first I'm going to talk about all the pre-university choices that you have for local opportunities. First off, A-Levels. So A-Levels is a very popular pre-university program. A-Levels is already very popular amongst Malaysians, especially for those who want to pursue their degree in institutions abroad. What I think people need to know is there are actually two basically providers for the A-Levels programs. You have the Cambridge A-Levels and then you have the EdXL A-Levels. 
in terms of how the syllabus works, I'm not really sure how much it can differ from the Cambridge E-levels to the Edexcel E-levels. However, it still follows the same principle where it's a 100% exam-based assessment. It kind of works the same way as SBM, which means that you kind of study throughout the year and then your final grade is literally just based on one particular exam. If you really liked how SBM worked, I think this would be a great pre-university program for you. No matter how much you get left behind or how much you get stuck in throughout your semesters, you'll still have time to compensate because your final grade is only determined by your exams. So yeah, I think for certain people, A-levels would work better. You are required to take a minimum of three subjects and maximum of four. For institutions like College Mara Sarumbay and KMS, they do have a preset kind of like package of subjects that they have already sorted out for you according to your streams, which is why I'm telling you it's really, really important for you to know which stream that you're going into. For example, uh, in KMS, I recall they have a science stream, they have the engineering stream, and I think there's an arts or professional science something, I don't remember. It's on the website, that's A-levels. Uh, bear in mind that A-levels last for usually two years. Some institutions offer 1.5 years, but that's going to be really fast track. I'm just going to put it out there that if you can, Try to take the slower track just so that you can cope with it better. Additionally, I attended this uh, sharing session with some of UM students and the presenter that attended A-Levels in Intech, she told us that A-Level requires you to take IELTS, which is basically the Cambridge English literacy test. However, if you're gonna stay local, you have to bear in mind that local universities, uh, at least the public ones, I think, they don't accept IELTS as the English exam. I don't know how this is gonna be in the future, but uh, as of 2020, <laughs> uh, the presenter mentioned, public universities don't really accept IELTS. So you're gonna have to take another test, which is Muen. So Muen is the Malaysian English literacy test. I think they really differ in format and stuff, so be prepared for that, especially if you're taking A-levels to stay local. Also, bear in mind that A-levels is probably the most expensive option even if you're staying local. The presenter from the UM sharing session mentioned that the tuition fee was, I think it was 14k, but I've seen some institutions offer it for way more, some reaching 80,000 to 90,000. Keep an eye out for the tuition fees, especially if you're going to be a private candidate, unless you're under a scholar, which is a whole other topic for later. If you're gonna be uh, under fama, father and mother, please bear this in mind. I would recommend A-levels to people who liked how SPM worked, meaning to say that whatever happens to you along the way won't really affect greatly on your final grades as long as you kind of study hard and cram towards the end of the week, which is not healthy, not a culture that I encourage. It is kind of difficult because you have to bear in mind that when you go into university, I think there are slim to none universities that really have 100% exam-based assessments. Obviously, you're going to need to train yourself on how to carry out presentations and write research papers. Of course, I know probably A-levels have their own league of presentation projects and stuff like that, but to have 
those activities as part of your grade can encourage you to improve yourself and do better because it is going to affect your final results. I have so many seniors who have taken A-levels and they survived their degrees abroad. Just know that you have to be really, really prepared. Okay, so we're done with A-levels. The next one, uh, this one is really popular. The second one is foundation. Now, foundation is pretty broad, I would say. It's usually directly connected to the degree that you can apply for. So for example, I myself applied for a foundation in applied chemistry in the University of Technology Petronas, and that would directly give me a pathway to all of their like chemical engineering, applied chemistry, or their bachelor degrees. So most private universities have foundation programs that directly lead into a degree in that university. So that's what we call a closed foundation program, which means that if you take your foundation there, you have to take your degree there as well. But then you also have certain foundation programs that are pretty open. I think these are usually labeled as foundation in science, foundation in arts. These are more general and will provide you that opportunity to take your foundation somewhere else and then continue your studies in a different university. So it's more open. It is called open foundation program. I think a lot of people like to consider closed foundation because it provides you with a safe path. If you score your foundation there, you're going to have a place in de the degree program in that university as well. No harm done in that. Up to you. What I do know based on the UM sharing session, the speaker was a student in the foundation in... Uh, what was it? It was one of the uh, science, assassin science in UM. So there's not much to unpack about that. It's just a preparatory program. Yeah. Oh, also, uh, the SSAUM grading system is 70-30, which means 70% based on your coursework, projects, presentations, assignments, so on and so forth. And then 30% is exam-based. So I think that's pretty good. It's a good ratio, 70 to 30, because it kind of pushes you to do better. This is what we call continuous assessment, which means you are continuously assessed throughout your semester and then your professors will grade you at the end of the term. Additionally, what I do want to put out there is that with foundation or with uh, public universities in Malaysia in general, you really have to be very careful when you're applying using UPU. Even though UPU is already closed, but as far as I know, they are saying that you will be able to adjust your choices after SPM results are released. What you do need to know is that you have to arrange the universities in your UPU application according to priority. So for example, I prefer going to UM over going to UITM or maybe I want to take this foundation more than I want to take this foundation program. So make sure you arrange all of your UPU uh, application universities in priority order because then the university will see that oh this student prioritized our university in amongst their whole lineup of like 12 universities you're going to make a better impression like that remember that this usually applies to most applications too not just UPU maybe in the future if you're going to the UK it applies to UCAS 
it also applies to all your scholarship things. Rule of thumb, if there is a list, one, two, three, four, just go about it by priority order or by chronological order. Okay, I think that's all for foundation. We're gonna go to our third option, which is matriculation. I obtained a lot of this info from the UM sharing session. Particularly, this speaker took matriculation in the College Matrix Lango. What impressed me about matriculation is one, the cost, which was really low compared to a lot of the foundation programs in public universities. And also, they do provide you a semester allowance so take care of your money don't overspend be a mature adult and manage your finances uh, the grading system is similar to the SSEUM, which is 70 30 oh okay i think i need to put this out there that just because it's called malaysian matriculation doesn't mean that it's gonna be that one thing that like a lot of people have this like stigma towards malaysian matriculation like oh my god malaysian matriculation you, they don't put it on a pedestal as much as other pre-university programs. However, based on what the speaker told us during the sharing session is that the Malaysian matriculation is actually pretty recognized internationally. Uh, the speaker herself received a few offers from Australian universities. So it's not impossible. You can take the Malaysian matriculation and go abroad. This goes to show that no matter what pre-university program you take, it doesn't set in stone for anything. Just because you take A-levels doesn't 100% mean that you are going to go abroad. And just because you're taking foundation in that specific university doesn't really mean that you're going to stay in that university. So that's something that a lot of people, I think, should take note of and should understand better. And could we just stop all of the stereotypes and stigma towards pre-university programs? End of my rant. We're done with the local route. So now we're going to go to pre-university for those who are dead set. I want to go abroad. I want to get out of here, experience the world, experience all the cultures and all that stuff. Good for you. I support your dream, whatever you want to do. First, I'm just going to skim through A-levels because we've already talked about it in the previous uh, section. But I think A-levels is really good for people who are kind of on the fence on whether you want to go abroad or you want to stay local. A-levels is a great way for you to kind of buy time before you choose. But anyways, skipping A-levels, we're going to go directly into IB, which is International Baccalaureate very famous it, it kind of like got launched back into the scene when people were applying for mara ytp and i think that a lot of people kind of don't understand ib as much as you're supposed to so here i am i'm here to provide you with the guidance we're gonna go about this in the perspective of my dearest older sister who attended an ib program in college marabanting and right now she is taking a degree in pharmacy in the university of nottingham uk campus ib ib probably the most famous pre-university program known for its difficulty it's how much it challenges your mind how much people kind of have like trauma from it but I think, based on what I've read and based on what my sister has told me, I think IB is a great kind of, it's kind of like a, a long-distance run, a long-distance marathon. It's not something that you can kind of go into and then say, you're going to sprint at it and then you're going to be fine. It's really something that you really have to work hard for. You can't, you know, slack off. You can, but then it's going to be hard for you to get back up. 
one because it's continuous assessment ha 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 you're gonna be graded based on your coursework your assignments and stuff like that and an external assessment which is exams furthermore ib requires you to take more subjects than there are in most of the other pre-university programs Uh, I'm going to go through it a little bit deeper because I haven't found a lot of sources that go into detail about this. So IB requires you to take three subjects in the higher level, which is the more advanced level. The higher level is HL. Three subjects in the standard level, which is SL. Doesn't mean it's easier, just foundation level. And then you have three compulsory other subjects that you still have to score for you to actually get your diploma. So that's called CAS. Uh, which is the kind of like community service things. The OK theory of knowledge, which is, my sister says it's like fasafa, philosophy, how you think, why you think, and also EE, extended essay. So the extended essay, as far as I know, you can choose any of the subjects that you're taking and write a 4,000 word-ish essay. Was it 4,000 or 3,000? Along the lines of that, on whatever relates to that subject, which is, for example... If you're really passionate about, I don't know, math, then just write a 4,000 essay about math. Uh, I think it's really great, especially for any of the subjects that you're particularly passionate in. That would be great for your extended essay. Also, the coursework for IB is, Lord bless their souls, are so structured like university research papers. If any of you out there have read those university research papers that have the abstract, the methodology, the findings, and all the procedure things. It is so detailed, and sometimes even I don't understand all the jargon that goes in there. But I did see, and I read through a lot of my sister's IB assignments, and it's really kind of, it's top tier, next level. IB was really meant to thoroughly prepare you for university especially in the academic writing aspect. Yeah, and this is the difficult part of IB, is actually thinking about what you're going to research about, what your coursework is going to be about. Um, My sister told me that the second semester is the planning semester, which is you plan your coursework, how you're going to do it, meet your lecturers and discuss about it. And the third semester is the semester where you actually carry out your research project. So yeah, you have time, but if you don't work for it, you're going to slack off. If there's anyone out there who is already dead set on taking IB, I think it's a great idea if you plan out all the subjects that you want to take beforehand. And if you have that brainstorm mind or suddenly you have an epiphany, you can already write that down for your research project. I think IB would be great for people who are already deeply invested in research or you're interested in starting to research and for people who are willing to take the challenge i'm not saying that people who don't take ib are a wuss because ib is really difficult it really challenges you but i think that uh, even i myself i put a levels as my first choice and then ib as my second choice for mara ytp not everyone can do ib but the people who can y'all I salute y'all for surviving IB. For anyone who wants to know, my sister who is now pursuing her degree in pharmacy, she took biochemistry and English for her HL, business, math, and Malay for her SL. IB usually lasts for two years, relatively the longest pre-U, same as A-level. Okay, now we're going to go to 
other options from the matriculation side. Typically in Malaysia, they offer the Canadian matriculation or the Australian matriculation. Recognition-wise, I would say they are pretty similar. Obviously, based on the names, Canadian matriculation is more geared towards people who want to pursue their degrees in Canada, and Australian matriculation is for people who want to go to, you know, in Australia. But they are still recognized globally, so you don't have to worry about, you know, being stuck in that country alone. You still have your options. Um, a thing that I would recommend for you to look out for is for Canadian matriculation, if I'm not mistaken, their grading system is 70-30. Just like SSCUM, uh, just like Malaysia matriculation. Yeah, so grading system is one thing. And uh, from any advisor, they said that the Canadian matriculation consists of a lot of kind of um, kind of social interaction, like presentations, debates, public speaking. So if you're not that kind of person who likes that, or if you kind of find that thing uncomfortable, uh, I would say for you to put Canadian matriculation to the side. Also, if you're doing research for Canadian matriculation, I'm going to put this out there because I got confused the first time I was researching for it. You're going to find the English subjects. They're going to label it as ENG4C and the other one is ENG4U, like the letter U. So ENG4C is English writing for college and ENG4U is English writing for university. I think it should be known by now that academic writing is not the same as all the fictional essays that you write in SPM level. It's going to be more formal, more structured, and there's all of that jargon terminology that you have to know. So I think it's great that the Canadian matriculation offers that as a standalone subject. I think that's all for Canadian matriculation. What you do need to know about the Australian matriculation, there are two options. One is the WACE, which is uh, basically just the Western Australian Certificate of Education. And then you have the SACE, which is the South Australian Certificate of Education. Certain institutions offer either or. Taylors offer WACE, if I'm not mistaken. The only difference between these two that particularly stood out to me was that Western Australian's grading system is 50-50. Meanwhile, the South Australian's grading system is 70-30. So that might kind of be off-putting for some people. I think that's all that stands out. But Based on all of the blogs that I read, they do mention that the matriculation programs are not recommended for people who are interested in pursuing really competitive degrees. And I'm saying competitive degrees like medicine, even these days pharmacy is starting to turn into a very competitive degree. So it's better for people who want to join fields like that for you to either take something that's more challenging like A-levels or try to find a university that has a good foundation program that can lead you towards that degree. So that's that. And now we're going to go to our last option for pre-university, which is ADP, American Degree Program. Now, the Mara YTP scholarship did have a few offers for the American Degree Transfer Program. And basically how this works is that um, there are a few branches of how this can actually work out. But based on the Mara YTP, 
you would study two years in Malaysia and then continue a few years of study abroad. Uh, how this actually kind of goes about behind the scenes is that when you study in Malaysia, you're going to gain credit hours, which is kind of like, I'm going to say points. It kind of works like that, like a point system, which you can transfer your credits when you enter university abroad. And it kind of like cuts off your study duration in that university. So for example, if a typical degree in the US might take four years, but since you already have that American degree program in Malaysia, like one year, which means you can probably cut off your study duration by one year as well. It kind of works differently with all the programs. Make sure you look it up. If there, if you're applying for a scholar that has an American degree program, make sure you check how long are you going to be in Malaysia and how long are you going to be abroad. You can kind of tally that up, how that suits you and your lifestyle, so on and so forth. American degree programs are great for people who are already aiming to study in America. A lot of the institutions did mention that you are not limited to universities in America, which means that you can probably still apply to other universities. But as far as how MARA YPP went with it, I think they did explicitly mention that ADTP is only for for you to continue your studies in uh, the United States. Which, bear in mind that when they say to continue your degree elsewhere, you have to make sure that your you know academic results at the end of your pre-university would satisfy any of the entry requirements for all of these universities abroad. So for example, this is kind of far-fetched, but for example, if you're taking A-levels and then you know that you want to enter, say, Harvard, which has the craziest admission rates, the whole process is so mind-boggling to me, but if you're going to go somewhere so competitive, make sure that you really work as hard as you can so that, one, you can score a place in that university, and two, you can actually stick with your scholar. Of course, there are certain scholars that are more strict about you going abroad, and there are certain scholars that are more lenient on it. I think Mara is more lenient on it, which means that if you can't go overseas, they will still sponsor you if you stay local. But this kind of differs. You really have to know your scholar well, which is why our next topic is going to be about financial aid. I'm going to put this on one big umbrella calling it financial aid because I think people have such kind of I'm gonna I'm not gonna say closed-minded but kind of like a narrow thought of how financial aid equals to scholars which no it does not equal to scholars financial aid can come in various forms uh, but the most common one is scholarships so uh, this one is coming from a sharing session from my senior, the alumni of my school. Financial aids can vary from bursaries, which is kind of like a, in Malay, in Malay we can call it like hadiah, like people give you money. And then you have you have scholarships that are connected to GLCs, government-linked corporations. You have government scholarships like JPA. And not to forget, this is very, very important. And I think a lot of people kind of look over this and kind of forget about it is the fact that a lot of institutions do offer internal financial aid. Usually, this is kind of more prominent in private universities because, good lord, their tuition fees are scary, 
which is why a lot of people seek financial aid directly from the university which I think is great it's something that you should consider especially if you are enrolled in a private university uh, it does differ I think most of them are academic based so it means that if you score better you're gonna pay less for your tuition fees but one thing to keep in mind about the difference between all of the scholarships and financial aid from the private universities is that usually scholarships do help you out with visa fees or or living fees travel fees stuff like that depending on a, on the scholar but private universities usually only offer financial aid for the tuition fees which for some people that's already like a saving grace it'll cut costs for you but if you're aiming more towards an all-encompassing care from your scholar i would say try prioritizing uh, the search for a scholar okay so that's the types of financial aid now i could go on and on and on about scholarship interviews how are you going to impress your scholar what should you write on your application to make you seem wow 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 but really with scholars what's really important is just that you be yourself which for a lot of people that's already daunting you're probably already thinking about the 1001 ways that 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 can go wrong but at the end of the day if you lie about yourself you're just gonna create this facade that one day you will not be able to hold up anymore so answer everything honestly just be the truest version of yourself what i do want people out there to know is that here are some like general preparations you have to be ready for scholars to reject you this is especially for someone like me who i admit i have issues with rejection i don't handle rejection well it's gonna be really difficult to swallow the pill and say oh i got rejected i want everyone to kind of start to mentally prepare yourself for all the rejections that you might get in life because life is not smooth sailing you're not gonna have everyone say yes yes we want you we want you all the time anyways general preparations general preparations for scholarships um first things first result wise you gotta be prepared to uh, kind of not meet all the entry requirements generally all of the common like famous scholarships don't accept people who have a minus in their results but you know this doesn't apply to every single scholar you still have opportunities out there another thing is that please check the income cap now this means uh, basically for a lot of scholars for example uh, YSD yes and Simon Darby their income cap for their scholar was 11,000 which means that if your household income exceeds that you can't apply to the scholar now some people might think that you can run away from it you can like lie about it my senior said that usually scholarships that have income caps are way more strict with how the background check you they're gonna ask for a lot of documents a lot of proof on the way you're living they're probably gonna stalk you a bit so don't lie if your household income is more than the income cap then just let it go it's not meant for you also be aware of any restrictions for example mara only offers to bumiputra and some i think ytn yeah ytn scholarships usually are open for only one person in the family so if one of your older siblings already received an, a scholarship 
from YPN, you can't apply for YPN anymore. Also, be well aware of deadlines at times like this. This is a lesson learned for everyone, I guess. The other day with the Mara YPP applications, a lot of people got stuck on the psychometric test. I'm not putting the blame on you. Procrastination is beautiful. It's a well-known practice for me, myself. I really hope that starting from this point forward, you start to not procrastinate. I'm not gonna put it that way. I just hope that starting from this point, everyone can be aware of what is the last date and the last second that you can send in your applications. This is so that one, you won't get stuck in the traffic jam of people trying to send in their applications. And two, if you finish it early, you can just stop thinking about it. You don't have to worry about it anymore. You just have to worry about that email coming in telling you whether you got accepted or not. That's it. Keep track of it. Write it in a calendar. You have your phone, you have your laptop. Keep it somewhere just to make sure you don't forget. As for like procedure-wise for um, scholarships, a lot of them go through a kind of like a, how do I say this, a very systemic procedure. Usually they start with a personality test or like an academic test depending on the scholar and then you go for an interview you go for uh, group presentations and then sometimes they'll send you to a leadership camp what a lot of people kind of struggle with is the interviews which i'm not going to give any pointers on because i know that there are a lot of resources out there for you to increase your skills in interviews a lot of schools held mock interviews so that's already great practice just apply what you've learned uh, add in some personality, be yourself, you know, make jokes. A lot of panels actually, you know, have fun with their candidates in scholarship interviews. So try your best to um, look past all the scariness of meeting scholarship panels and try to just connect with them. Because a scholarship panel interviewer can see whether they will connect with the candidate or not. Especially for major corporations like Yayasan Hazana, uh, Petronas, Mara, they're, they're gonna look out for people who can actually resonate with them, be on the same wavelength with them. Um, you kind of need to build a mutual relationship or a common interest in that somewhat 30 minutes of chatting with the panel. Of course, interviews are a lot of pressure on a lot of people. If you have any questions or you want me to help you give some pointers on interviews or we could have our own mock interview se session because I think that would be fun. You can get in contact with me. I would be happy to help. Oh, also, I totally forgot. Essays. Now, as far as Malaysian scholarships go, for SPM 2020 leavers, there aren't a lot of scholarships that have asked for an essay. Personally, uh, I've only sent in one essay, which was for my application to Yayasan MSU. And that essay was pretty simple, just 300 words, a little bit about myself and why MSU should choose me, I think. Be genuine. Don't kind of like sugarcoat your words. Just be direct with it, especially if the word count is really, really small like 300 150 you're gonna want to put as much info as possible into your essay so don't dilly dally the sun uh, was rising above its zenith in the azure sky with birds chirping yada 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 no no no, no. just go straight to the point convey what you want to say and then done send it in i think obviously a lot of people are worrying about 
whether you're going to get a scholar or not. And believe me, I've already passed that phase by now of am I going to get a scholar or am I not going to get a scholar? If I don't, then what's going to happen to my financial status? How am I going to you know, continue my studies? Ooh, okay, stop right there with all of those thoughts. The thing is that if you don't get a scholarship offer when you're in going into pre-university, there are so many more opportunities for you when you pursue your degree. For anyone who has been actively looking out for scholars, you should probably know by now that there are so many scholarship offers for people who are going to pursue their degrees, which in this case scenario, you would be using your pre-university results. Just because you don't get a scholarship offer when you're going into pre-university doesn't mean that you won't be able to ask for a scholarship when you're pursuing your degree or when you're pursuing your master's or stuff like that. There's always an opportunity down the line. It's just a matter of whether you want to look for that opportunity or not. At this point in life, you can't expect people to hand everything to you on a silver platter you have to work for it you have to find it and you have to fight for it inevitably it will make you grow it will push you to be a better person motivate you to be more successful in life another reminder this came from my senior and also my sister is that it's kind of early to warn you guys about this but it should be set in stone from now that you have to learn how to be financially responsible because a lot of scholars give you your allowance in a lump sum so for example some people their scholars offer them an allowance of for example 800 ringgit a month i'm not saying that the corporations aren't able to give you the money month by month but of course that's going to be a very complicated process so a lot of corporations or kind of government bodies they just kind of like dump your allowance at you in a lump sum which means they calculate how many months are you going to be under the scholar and then multiply give you the money and then done this is that moment in a lot of scholars lives where they start to kind of get sidetracked it leads them into the spiral of spending here spending that overspending on this uh, negative consumerism toxic consumerism all that kind of stuff i want everyone to bear in mind that just because you see a lot of numbers in your bank account doesn't mean that the money you have is the money that you should spend. We can talk about finance management sometime in the future, but trust me, I'm not the person that you should really look for regarding financial advice. I have a senior that is a financial advisor. I'll leave her Instagram username in the description of the episode. As far as I know, she does offer free one-to-one personal consultations. Don't be shy. I'm pretty sure you can reach out to her. Ask her about financial management. It's gonna work wonders for you in the long run. You're gonna be safe in terms of you know investing saving money and your economic well-being besides the whole lump sum thing another thing that everyone should be reminded of especially for people who are going to apply for scholars is that dude you have to learn how to read contracts contracts are actually pretty complicated i'm going to give you an example usually all the terms of services terms and conditions that you see when you're registering for something that's already considered as a contract and you know i know from personal experience that those things you don't really read them because you don't feel like they have a major importance 
in you know how you're using the service but for scholars read the contract the contract will be very detailed about how much you're gonna get how much you might need to pay back if you don't meet their requirements and all the collateral damage that might happen to you if you don't act accordingly to your contracts learn how to read contracts starting from this point on before you sign anything before you agree to anything read everything thoroughly believe me it takes like five minutes just read it through and save yourself from any future mishaps so that's the end of our financial aid section it does work differently for a lot of corporations some of them give full scholarships half scholarships some of them are kind of like loans mara ytp is a loan which means that you have to pay back after you're done studying jpa is also like that they have like different rates of repaying your load i have compiled some random advice for you while i was doing my research you know some things just popped into my head and i think um, people should know first of all it is okay for you to be clueless right now a lot of people do agree that the transition between your high school years and for you to go into university it's really that phase where you're just i have no idea what i'm gonna do in life and that's fine it this is the time for you to discover yourself for you to kind of reflect on your study methods, reflect on how you acted in your high school years and what are the habits that you want to carry forward, what are the habits that you want to maintain when you're in university. This is that time, kind of like self-reflection. University doesn't necessarily mean fun times, even though a lot of our teachers in high school used to say that later when you enter university, you're going to have a lot of fun, your lecturers are not going to care about you, you're going to have a lot of free time, if you don't come to class, your lecturers won't care, so on and so forth. Ladies and gentlemen, that does not apply to all universities. Some universities actually consider your attendance on whether you will receive your final result or not. Be punctual, be on time, be courteous, respect your lecturers, especially if you're staying local. A lot of our lecturers are extremely caring, they will help you if you ask for help. You know, they're not, they're not the kind of people who would just let you off the hook, let you do whatever you want. Even my sister who studies abroad is already in her like second year of degree, entering third year. She's still jam-packed with a lot of things in her schedule. I think that's the end of it. I did do my best to research everything that there is about all of these programs but if there are any you know incomplete info any misinformation i would like to apologize in advance if some of my thoughts don't resonate with you i would also like to apologize but i hope that everyone can consider my suggestions and with that we are coming to the end of our session today i hope everyone learned a lot about the vast variety of pre-university programs available for you out there i hope that this has you know shed some light on maybe on the confusion that you have on what's the pathway after SBM. It might seem difficult now because it looks very abstract, you don't know where you're going, but if there's anything I've learned from all my hours of binging videos on YouTube is that sometimes you have to stop looking at the big picture and start your journey by just looking forward, by focusing on the next footstep, the next footstep, and the next footstep. Just go slow with it, make your choices wisely, always consider 
everything as thoroughly as possible before you make a decision because this is going to be a life-changing decision if there's anything that you would like me to clarify further or anything that you want me to discuss on a more detailed note my dms are open sometimes i post on my instagram story about the podcast as well so you can keep a lookout for that on a final note I have high hopes that, you know, everyone can start to carve out your journey for your future. And, you know, whatever happens, you're gonna be fine. That's all for this week, y'all. See you in the next one.